Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Zaria Parvez, social media coordinator at Duolingo and the mastermind behind their TikTok. Welcome, Zaria. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're pretty early in your career and you've built quite the name for yourself. Can you can you let our guests know why so many people know the name Zaria Parvez? <laughs> yes. Um, so I started at Duolingo as my first job out of college and I'm in charge of our TikTok account. So we really just kind of changed the game with how brands interact on the platform with creating this whole personality behind the Duolingo owl named Duo and just having fun on the app. How did you find yourself uh, at Duolingo? Um, why did you choose them as a, yeah. as a place to start your career after college? Yeah, great question. So I, in my time in college, I spent a lot of my energy on diversity and advertising and like what it means for representation and pretty much like the purchasing power of like these small small quote unquote minorities that are actually very huge and have a lot of purchasing power. Um, and really just like look deep into that. And I kind of left college knowing I wanted to continue that idea of like the importance of being inherently diverse in what you're putting out there and what you're creating. And Duolingo is a very mission driven brand and diversity is part of the DNA of who we are. Um, you'll walk in and you'll hear people speaking so many different languages. We were founded by immigrants. Um, and like something that was really awesome to me is that we were never going to, in the end of the day, like no matter what, whatever we monetize on, we're never going to monetize on the content we provide. So like the free version versus the premium version of our app will still be the same exact content. It's just a matter of having ads or no ads. So stuff like that really excited me about working at Duolingo. And luckily they hired me and it's been great ever since. And for those who don't know, uh, what is Duolingo's mission? Yeah, so our mission is to make education accessible. Um, and I know a lot of people know Duolingo as a language learning app, but we specifically don't think we've won yet until we have all the education be accessible. So we're actually also developing a math app that's coming out later. So it's just this constant drive to just make education accessible. And you've built quite a, a social media reputation for Duolingo using their TikTok. Can you talk a little bit about that story and maybe uh, what your take is on that platform? Sure. I think everyone is aware of TikTok, you know, and like a lot of brands feel like we need to be on there. There's this huge audience. We just don't know what our niche is or how we fit into the whole equation. And honestly, like we were in the same position a couple months ago and we kind of found our like happy, I guess, whatever our flow, um, through just testing and learning. So I, before we actually launched like our own original content, we partnered with TikTok themselves to be part of their hashtag learn on TikTok initiative. So like the first videos you'll see on our platform are like all language learning. Like they're just different language learning influencers, I guess, who would like give us slang in other languages or just talk through language stuff, which seems like, yeah, that would make sense for Duolingo. Um, but it just didn't resonate as well. And it was a cool experiment. And that kind of just was like, well, okay. And then we took a break. And then we came back into the office in September of 2021. So it's like about a six month like break on the platform. 
Um, I just had that idea one day and I was like, this is a trending sound. Like I saw it on my own for you page. What if we just try it and make sense? And it did make sense and it resonated and people loved it. And that just kept inspiring more and more ideas and storylines and kind of creating this whole almost sitcom around our brand of like what you'll see on our platform. From my perspective, looking at the, the, the TikTok feed, you guys take a lot of risks or you take a lot of risks. What's your strategy uh, in approaching this content? And have you ever been met with like, that might be a little too much for our brand? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I personally live by, uh, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So it's, it's worked thus far, but obviously like I do have approvals that I have to go through, but they're all very flexible. I would say like 99.9% like, of what I ask for, it gets out there. It's like maybe 0.1% where I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is probably not going to get approved, but it's worth just asking. Um, but that being said, there is definitely like guardrails that we have like around what we will and won't do. So like, we'll never be explicitly violent. We might like allude to like duo being upset, but we'll never be like duo is going to do something violent to you. Um, we try our best for most content, not have like explicit words in it. Um, and I kind of find that a fun way to go around it. Cause it's like, you actually have to think of a smarter strategy to say things that you can't say. So it kind of forces your creative muscles to like think a little bit deeper, which is cool for me just as a content creator there. And then I also have like this personal thing of like, don't punch down. I think like we'll make jokes and like chill with people and like, it'll be like friendly banter, but I really want it to be intentional for banter again, just not punch down. Like, I'm not sure if you guys have been seeing like this West Elm, like Caleb stuff that's been really popular right now. Yeah, that's... It's not my, not no, my cup what, of tea. What so. is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's kind of similar to couch guy, but it was essentially this guy wasn't a great person in the sense of the dating scene and like girls matched with him. And like one girl came out with her story and then like a lot of girls came out being like, he ghosted me, he did this, which is like, okay, like, yeah, whatever. I don't know him. I don't know his <laughs> life, but I also don't think we should be like, you know, completely like destroying him, like his work. Like, yeah, I don't like, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't seem like the place to be. And when brands jump on that, I just like, I feel uncomfortable like that. So I was like, if that was me, we've all done horrible things. We've all been crappy people at some point. And if someone was like, yeah, do that to me. Mm -mm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can you, cause I, I actually come from a comedy background. And I think people might not know <laughs> the term punching down. Um, sure. From my perspective, it's basically, making jokes at people's expense or making jokes at groups that might not have as big of a voice or a platform at their expense where, where you can sort of look down on them and be like, isn't, aren't they weird without them having an opportunity to sort of talk back? Um, what, I mean, that's, it's such a cool philosophy and it's funny cause I, I watch your feed and it's so, uh, like it uses all these really kind of higher level comedic techniques. You're super sarcastic. You're super like flirty and coy. And there's a lot of innuendo and a lot of like, I will say like risque or like you take a lot <laughs> yeah. of risks. Um, and yeah. I think it's awesome. Why do you think, because uh, obviously, because you can see the difference between when you were sort of partnered with TikTok and you were doing this educational content. And I'm sure that's like awesome content. But right when you started using this mascot and building this story, your viewership and probably your uh, interactions on, on the platform went crazy. 
Uh, right. Why do you think it's TikTok versus other platforms? Have you do you post these videos only on TikTok, or is it are they also on Instagram Reels or any other? Yeah. So we tried actually posting a couple of videos from our TikTok onto Reels, and it didn't resonate as well, honestly. So I think it's just really different audiences, and real content probably needs its own like footing um, with how we do it. But I think like the biggest takeaway like I had during like my advertising training was like, I'm not sure if you guys have heard this, but like kiss, like keep it simple, stupid. And if you can't explain yes. it to like a kindergartner, then you shouldn't be doing it. And like, it's funny because I have a nephew who's like, he's obviously not, but he's like a fifth grader. And like, I will show him a video. And if he's la- like, he's on TikTok, if he's laughing, then I'm like, dope, cool. Like he gets it. <laughs> and I think you shouldn't have to like explain the joke, you know, or explain the story. And I felt like our original content was just like, this is language learning and blah, 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 blah. And it's like a kindergartner wouldn't get that. Like, it's not funny. So like, even if the audio is off and you just see a weird owl, like chasing people, that's funny. So it's that whole idea of just keeping it simple, stupid. Yeah. We're not making uh, (laughs) avant-garde independent film that will premiere at two theaters nationwide. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your maybe youth and lack of experience almost giving you strength in this field? Like, how do you uh, advocate for your ideas, which I think as a as a younger creative can be sometimes challenging or daunting, especially in a company that yeah. I would say like everyone knows Duolingo. It's sort of ubiquitous culturally at this point. You know, if you're not doing it, you know somebody who's like, I'm working on Spanish, I'm working on French, you know? Right. Yeah, I think um, what's really awesome first is like the culture. So we're forced to be innovative. Okay, forced sounds like a really strong word, but like (laughs) we're highly, highly encouraged to be innovative. Um, And that's that's celebrated. Like people like to see weird ideas and quirky ideas and things come from just being scrappy and spending like maybe a long night in the office and like, I have this idea, what do you think? So I think I was always encouraged from the beginning to like propose your ideas, and maybe this is a personality thing that I honestly, I don't really care if someone says no to me. I'm like, all right, moving on. Like, that's like the worst <laughs> they can say. So that makes it easier for me to like constantly be rejected, which I don't know if I like that might be something deeper, but I don't know. Other than that, I think that's been cool though. Cause it's like, I was always pitching ideas and a lot of the times things would get rejected and a lot of times they would stick. And, and I think, yeah, maybe if I had more experience, I was maybe I'd be more self-conscious about what I'm pitching or like what people would think of my ideas. And it just coming in with a fresh perspective, I think, yeah, I think it gave me a leg up in a sense. That's incredible. How do you think you would uh, approach young creatives? Like if you were to present to maybe a university class or people that are looking to break in as creatives in, you know, it's a very, it's a vast landscape of social media within you know, the corporate world. Um, do you have any pieces of advice that you'd be like, this is something that I stick to and this might help you? Yeah. So something that I was also trained to do at University of Oregon, I don't know if like our ad program Ducks. is very robust because like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, so Nike came from there. So like, and Nike's like one of the top, like, right, advertisers, the people who like founded White yes. and Kennedy, like went to my program. So it was always like very intense. And I think the number one thing that I learned like my freshman year was like, any creative idea you have has to be insight driven. You need to find like a great insight that actually resonates. Otherwise you're just like throwing stuff at the wall. Like that might stick sometimes, but it won't always stick. Um, And like, I guess like the insight idea that I always like have in my head that makes me figure out if it's like a good insight or not is like, 
I think there was this one ad for Best Buy and it was this idea of like the moms, like it was, it was targeted at moms and their insight was that moms like actually feel like this competition with Santa and like moms, like when kids get gifts and they're like, oh my God, Santa's the best. And I don't know, I just think about that insight because it's so unique and it's so like multidimensional. So I really try to apply that to like whatever I'm thinking, like what is that like human truth? Like the, oh my God, we all relate to that when I'm coming up with content. And that's why I think with our TikTok, we've been able to create these awesome storylines that people have fun with and engage with. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's a wonderful insight. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to start applying. That. <laughs> um, can you talk about, so you've built this very large community on TikTok. How does that translate into business success or is that even the goal for you? Yeah. So originally I actually didn't start off with like these metrics that I had to hit. And I think that's what actually made it easier for me to test and learn and have fun with it and like learn from it. Uh, they were never like, you need this many downloads of the app with like this many videos, but also at the same time, it's because it was also low lift. Like I wasn't asking, like we spent $0 on promoting anything. It was just an iPhone and a suit we already had. So I think that's why it made it easier to not attach metrics to it. Um, that being said, we actually have a, how do you hear about a survey? And we saw like a large uptick in users saying that they come from TikTok and we've just seen continued growth and success from it. So it's exciting to see that like a tangible, like result from your social. Does, do you feel like it puts more pressure on like each successful TikTok that you put out? Do you feel more pressure to sort of outdo yourself or to, to build on that, build on that audience and their expectations? Oh yeah, for sure. And I think any creator feels that way. Like if I hit under a million views, I'm like, I'm done. Like, this is stupid. Like this wasn't, you know? And like, like chill girl, like you're fine. And I think like, I'm, I need to like keep telling myself that. And like, what's interesting is that I feel like we tend to like, like I used to, let's see, how do I say this? I used to determine my success based on how many likes or how many follows or how many views like each post got. And then when I would post like a video that only got like maybe 300K views versus something before that got 7 million views, I was upset. But then I realized that that video that I posted further to storyline, further to joke and like later videos down the line, people were still referring to that video. So that content definitely still had an impact and like adds to the bigger picture. Um, but also like it's work and I need to not take it personal. So I'm also working on like setting those boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Where did, can you... Yeah. Can you divulge where the suit came from or how that suit sort of came to fruition? Totally. So it's actually from um, a manufacturer in China, Shocker. And um, <laughs> we have a Beijing office and they actually helped us develop it. And they shipped one to our headquarters in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then one to New York in our New York City office. And it was originally just meant for like HR, like for recruiting events and then Duo would just show up and people would snap a picture with Duo or it would honestly be like a joke at our office. Like someone would just wear it and just walk around and it would just be funny. Like that, that was kind of it. And that's why it was like just sitting there and I was like, can I have this and use this? And no one was phased by it. They're like, yeah, sure, go for it. And it just became its own entity that it is now. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Do you feel like, because uh, you're based in Pittsburgh, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like being in sort of a non, uh, like coastal elite market city, is that, do you feel like that helps your creativity? I feel like a lot of times creatives are pulled to those places because they want to be 
surrounded by, you know, like everyone that's attacking that career hard. And I almost feel like being in a non, you know, coastal market driven city almost has a different psychology involved. Does that resonate with you at all? That's a really great question. Cause this was something I was like debating fresh out of college to like, do I want to be in New York? Do I want to like spend my twenties there? Like what's the right decision for me? Um, and I actually had a really good, like heart to heart with my sister about this, who knows me obviously very well. And for me personally, I feel like I thrive of being like a big fish in a smaller pond versus being like a smaller fish in a big pond, if that makes sense, which sounds like really pretentious, but I mean that in a sense that if I went to New York, I feel like there'd be so much creative genius around me. And I would be like, I don't know if I add up. And then my own insecurities would just prevent me from being creative. Well, like in Pittsburgh, there is a creative. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like Pittsburgh, there definitely is a creative scene, but it's just not like the stakes don't feel as high for some reason. And so I feel like that makes it easy. It's like a whole psychological thing, I think more so than actually like what the town is, but it helps me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that I spent my twenties in New York city and then my thirties in Los Angeles. And so I feel like I really <laughs> relate to the psychology of how cities affect your own creative output and your own sort of, like you said, like it's, it's, Maybe it's not real. Maybe it's just a perception based on like your day to day. But I do feel like, like you, there's something very free about what you do on your platform. And it feels like it's just so authentic and real and of the moment. And I, I wonder if that has to do with maybe a freedom you feel in your personal life or some, you know. Yeah. I mean, it also like our social team is super small. Like it's just me and the U.S. marketing manager who like only does social, maybe like 30, 20, 30% of her time. So I think that also gives me the freedom to be like, take the direction you want to take with it and go with it. You know, like I don't have that need to like, I don't like have another social strategist next to me who I'm like, feel like I have to compete with great, great content. And we're both like pitching to our boss, for example. So I think that's why it's been a little bit easier and just more like, it's just honestly like, Yes, Duo has his personality, but I feel like a lot of my personality is just what, like, I am Duo now, is what I feel like <laughs> Duo is me. <laughs> Do you feel like people have followed you in addition to Duolingo because of your presence on the channel? Yeah, so as a joke, okay, so I have 70 followers on TikTok. And as a joke, <laughs> I posted a video being like, when you're like parents immigrate all the way from Pakistan just for you to become like the owl on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I have like, Five of my friends view it, laugh, they're like, LOL. I like come back 10 hours later. I don't really check my own personal account because I've just like, I'm on duos, it's fine. 70,000 followers. And like, that has like 5 million views. And now people are like, just obsessed. Like, what is it like being in social media? Like, what is your life like? And I'm like, incredibly boring. So I'm like, I need to think of like fun things to be like, this is what I do. So I'm like, can someone take like an Instagram photo of me? Like, I need something to be more creative. But yeah. it's cool. Like, I never realized, like, how a social person can be, like, popular or, like, an influencer in themselves on this platform. Right. Well, I think a lot of times, I feel like, I mean, it's a natural thing where, like, there is a, a very specific creative point of view coming through this corporate channel. And I think a lot of times people that are curious or hungry will be like, who is that? What is this? Who is this person or who is creating this? Um, can I ask about your creative inspiration and maybe what sort of culturally resonates with you and how you kind of, you know, take in that 
information and, you know, what, what inspires you essentially? Yeah. Um, so I have this, I live by a lot of weird mantras, as you guys will learn as we discuss further. Um, but something I was told was to be interesting. You have to be interested. And for me, I believe being interested in culture, especially in the marketing world, I think sometimes we get caught up in like reading a ton of like marketing strategy books specifically, or just like trying to constantly hone our skills. But in social, you are in this weird world where you're also trying to be part of culture. So I try to do things that are just like outside of like what my job is. And I feel like that helps me learn about people and about things. So like big reader, I've been like super interested about reading about like the Korean first gen immigrant experience, which is super random, I think, and maybe relates to what I'm posting. Not really, but I think it just lets me put on a different hat and see the world through someone else's eyes. And like a lot of fictional books, non-fictional books. Um, I'm always trying to stay on top of like new TV shows that are going out. So I understand trends quite frankly um, and stuff like that, like travel. I know that sounds super cliche, but like I am trying to travel more and travel to more like obscure places that just aren't places that people might think of as like a destination. Like I recently just came back from South Africa and it was one of the coolest vacations I've ever had in my life. And I'm like ready to go back. Um, so stuff like that, I think just from just interacting with people and just seeing how different people live their lives, I think makes me like helps me understand culture. I just think a little bit better. Yeah, that's very poignant. And to speak to Korea, they have such a huge cult cultural footprint right now for such a you know mm -hmm. small place. They are one of the arbiters of taste right now. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And that, it's insane. Like, and it's been like that for a while. We're just picking up on it now. So yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. Um, what do you think is next? What does the future hold for uh, Duolingo's social media under your watchful eye? <laughs> so my dream is for Duo to be seen as a creator versus a brand on the platform and for other TikTok creators to like, want to come and collab and just create fun content and feel valued for their work and what they do on TikTok rather than like be a brand that they have a brief for that they have to push and say like, use this code for 20%. Like, I don't want that. And I think this is just flipping branding on its head and seeing what we can do with it and where we can go with it. And if, if we just have fun and use trending audio and let creators actually do what they signed up to do when they entered this platform and why we're choosing them, just let them do it. I'm curious to see if like that actually leads to impact on app downloads or the metrics people want us to hit. I'm not sure. I don't know if it will, but that's like a big test that I want to do and be like my dream as a brand to see if we can become like a creator hype house ourselves. <laughs> I love that. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between maybe creator versus influencer versus brand and those sort of sure. identities that so, live in yeah. social? Totally. So I think what's unique about TikTok is they really inspired this idea of a creator. So what would be commonly known as an influencer before on Instagram or I don't know, or I don't know if influencers on Twitter, maybe they are. Sure. Um, <laughs> they, like at some point, I feel like that word started getting like a bad taste in people's mouths and like, we don't believe them, like hashtag ad. So TikTok was like, you know what, you guys are creators, you create cool content, you put it out there, you have fun, whatever. Um, unfortunately, I still feel like a lot of brands are trying to bring that influencer strategy to TikTok, 
where TikTok like rejected that influence, like they're not built on that influencer strategy. So you'll still see like a lot of brand deals, which is cool, but it'll be like a brand deal that's super scripted and not native and it, it doesn't work. It doesn't resonate. So my goal is to have like Duo also be a creator. So like maybe not like promote other brands, but like work with other creators to be like, let's have a mutual collab where like our clout helps you and your clout helps us. And we like did a test run with Rod, who is like a millennial workplace influencer. Sorry, not influencer, creator <laughs> on TikTok. Um, Ugh, and, I just got this bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. But like it worked. Like he gained crazy audience. We gained crazy audience. And like, I still talk to him just for help. I'm like, how, what can I do to make creators like want us and want to be with us and have fun with us? And it's just been really cool to see it kind of come into fruition. And I hope we can just keep going further with it. That's awesome. Uh, for my, you know, I'm like, I think I'm an elder millennial. <sighs> what an old guy. Uh, <laughs> influencer, I think that taste came from it failed. It felt inauthentic. It felt like people were like, Oh, my God, this eye cream. Yes. I can't believe I found it. You can use my code and get 20% off if you wanted to. <laughs> Like it felt like just yes. sort of a thinly veiled, uh, half-hearted advertisement for a human to just walk away with a few thousand bucks or you know whatever the company gave them. Uh, is that the yeah. bad taste? Is that where TikTok is like, I, do your thing, don't do our thing? If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people are, and the idea that you don't need a perfect photo, like people will be like literally stuffing food in their mouth and being like. Anyways, I like this product, you know, and it's like, it just feels more real. Like no one has like 10 layers of makeup on or like the perfect yes. ring light. It's just, it's just them. And I think my theory is like, so TikTok blew off during the pandemic, like blew, blew off, blew up <laughs> during the pandemic. Let's cut it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it blew up, I think during the pandemic, right? And like, it just got its traction. I think because everyone was stuck at home and like, we had no reason to get dressed yeah. up or reason to do things. And that just created this whole new idea and this, dare I say it, this new normal of just like being even more real than you imagine ever imagine yourself to be because we were forced to. We didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I often say, this is probably the sixth time I've said it on the podcast, but it's forced us to accept each other more for who we are. Like we used to go to an office in an outfit that we picked, you know, like, with our presentation yes. that we would present. But now it's like, you can see my weird painting right here and the picture of my dog, right? You know, like we can see into each other's yeah. like homes, like on a day-to-day -day basis. We're like, oh, that's how you live. And I think almost, <laughs> you know, TikTok has a bit of that where it's, it feels like Instagram really became a more curated, glossy, you know, almost inhuman perception. And TikTok brought yeah. it back to an authentic, like, no, this is just us hanging out, doing our thing, which I think uh, brought it back to that human level. I don't know. Yeah, and that's like, even even for me, like I, if you look at my Instagram feed, there's never a photo without makeup on it or like never a photo that's like perfectly posed while like my personal TikTok is just like me with like zit cream on, like talking to people, you know? It's just like, yeah. I mean, yes. even right now, like, even now, though, I still don't change that. And I, I, I don't know if, like, my brain just processes this is like, the Zarya that Instagram gets, and this is the Zarya that TikTok gets, and that's just how it's going to be. So 
this next segment is Stand the Brand. The first story we have, beauty businesses are starting to turn towards augmented reality. So beauty brands are starting to buy tech companies and they're allowing customers to virtually try and makeup, hair, skincare products. So people don't really want to travel to stores anymore. L'Oreal has actually led this pivot in the beauty industry and they bought Modi Faced, which is an AR specialist. Quote from one of their senior VPs, 38% of those who go through our color quiz for hair and then explore hair colors and use our AR virtual try-on tool convert to purchasing. So Zaria, do you stand with this brand or do you take a seat? So (laughs) I think I might take a seat on this, but I'll, I'll tell you what. So this might be also from my background of just what I've experienced, especially with the beauty brand world. And I've used like some of this VR stuff myself, like when buying, um, I still think we're not at a point where we have eliminated bias in virtual reality. And like, especially like as a woman of color, like if I'm going to buy a makeup thing, like I just don't trust it quite honestly, because I've I've done it on like Sephora's website before, for example, and it just didn't like, it didn't look good on that. And then I went in person, it looked great. I'd like to think. Um, So I I think there's just so much more we got to do, you know, to be inclusive and to understand like different body types, right? Like obviously different like skin tones, but also like what about like burn victims and like different stuff like that? I know that was kind of like a deep turn, but like people just have different skin complexions and different necessities. And like, I think obviously it's the gold, like the North Star is to always like have everything be perfect for everyone. Um, But I think if we can hold ourselves to that, I think it'll make, it'll make it more, it'll make it feel more accessible to everyone rather than just like this one group of people. So that's maybe why I take a seat with it. But yeah. I like that. I actually have to piggyback off of you with this because I completely agree um, on the fact I like the idea. I can enjoy the sentiment, but there's a lot of steps that need to happen for it actually to be inclusive for everybody so that you can just hop on and say, okay, this is what it is. And I don't know if it's going to be a scan thing. So they get like all your undertones and cause like I have a birthmark and stuff and it's just, it's very interesting to see. Um, I like the idea that the beauty industry is kind of playing into it, but I would like to see some changes before they move further to make it just more accessible and just easy and fun instead of getting it in the mail. And you're like, Oh, that's about, you know, <laughs> five shades in the wrong direction. Like this is not exactly. gonna, this is not gonna work. I have sort of a a slight pivot, but I will say <laughs> I have noticed so many ads for male makeup recently. I don't know if that has ever oh. hit. it might they might just be targeting. They might be like, you got some bags <laughs> under your eyes, <laughs> Um But I think more more than I've ever perceived sort of you know, just culturally ever before. I've seen a lot of ads for male makeup. Um, But I will say with most most product, it's such a multi-sensory experience. Like it's a feel, it's a smell. It's like, how do I vibe with this? And I think that type of experience can never be communicated virtually. I mean, it might be like, you're maybe about this tone with this weird light. We also have like the strangest lighting at our homes and offices and that it's, it feels almost like you would need some real high tech gear to be like, this is a perfect scan of exactly your 
tone. Because um, I feel yeah. like there's just such a room for error. But I love going to a place and finding a good cream or a good lotion or something. That's yes. like, wow, this is fun. Yes. Um, or going to the barber. My my guy, my barber always recommends like a cool hair product. He's like, oh, it's got a great hold, but it's not too rigid. And check it out. It smells like sage. I don't know. I went in <laughs> my own way. I'm like, I love getting haircuts. <laughs> What was the brand again? <laughs> no, I I like that Nick though cuz it is it is such a thing where like certain brands I like to spend my money and support them because like I love their branding and how the packaging is and like also what they stand for and how the products make me feel. Um yeah, I love that. So next up, we have Netflix. And they are actually partnering with a suicide prevention charity that has kind of started a legacy, if you will, from the show Afterlife that stars Ricky Gervais. So to give a short synopsis, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but just for our audience as well. So it's about a journalist, Tony, who is portrayed by Gervais, who is grieving the death of his wife, Lisa, and he is contemplating suicide before deciding to, li to live. And he decides to just dive deeper in connections with his family, friends, and colleagues. And a reoccurring instance in the show is a park bench that Tony goes and visits his wife grave, his wife's grave at. And he actually befriends a woman who is grieving as well. And they develop a friendship and just all conversations that are kind of about life and funny things. Um, but the suicide prevention charity campaign against living miserably, calm, um, is what they call it. They partnered with the agency Made uh, to create the park benches. And each bench is going to be inscribed with a quote from the show, which is hope is everything. And it's actually going to point visitors to resources from Calm. And each one is going to include a unique QR code with wording, life can be tough, but there's always hope. Campaign against living miserably Calm is by your side. Uh, there's going to be plaques on the benches as well. And just kind of a little note to nod, I should say, to Netflix that is saying why they're doing this. Um, there's going to be 25 of these benches actually installed, like the one in the show, in various locations, starting in the UK, um, including Birmingham, Glasgow, Liverpool, and Surrey. So park benches are kind of like a universal sign of just connecting, because I know we all have maybe sat on one at some point, or maybe you're at the airport waiting on a bench or something, and you you just start up random conversations that you people watch. Um, and it's a way to get things off your chest to a complete stranger rather than sharing with someone that knows you so closely. Um, and this is actually the hope for the benches from the team at Calm. So Zaria, do you stand with this brand or do you take a seat? Yeah, I think I stand with it. I really, I really appreciate it. I think that's cool. And I think there's obviously impact with that, which is great. And it's like, I have this platform, how are we going to use it to actually try to help even one person? Yeah. Um, in my brain, I'm just thinking of like the cool placements of these benches or like where they're putting them. Do you know if it's like in places that people like most common places, people like tried committing suicide or is it just like random parks? They haven't shared it yet. Cause they're going to like do kind of a grand reveal, but that okay. is their intention is to have spaces that like maybe a beautiful park like overlook or something where people or even near certain like big areas where people go to um, just so that they can have a seat and just start a conversation and also see the bench and 
maybe, you know, that is the day that they need that message, which is so powerful. Yeah, I think this whole idea of like having a conversation, I think makes it that much deeper too. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like all of us have gone through crap and are having shitty days. And sometimes obviously people's mental health can be way worse than another, but just being able to like have an exchange and like the amount of time just hearing something positive from like another person without without them even realizing the impact it can have on you. I I think this is pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, yeah, it's a good one. I think I've seen a little bit of the show and Ricky Gervais is, I think, hilarious. And I love that they're just playing into something as simple as sitting next to a complete stranger and you just start a conversation because I definitely know I've done this. And I'm like, wow, I just spilled my guts to someone that I'm probably never going to see again. But that felt so good. Um, So I totally I want to travel there and sit on one of those benches and see where they're at. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's lovely. I think it's uh, I mean, obviously, the shows that we watch touch on themes that maybe are harder to talk about in our personal lives. And I think it's inviting a conversation around a subject that is, you know, ever present in, you know, the modern hustle uh, and maybe hard to dive in. And I think it gives you a, a doorway to enter in a conversation that maybe, you know, looks a little scary from the outside, but I appreciate it. I think it's cool. Um, I think it's a very unique and uh, tactful way to sort of build a little bit of, uh, you know, momentum behind your show, but also address the show's theme in a very sensitive and sweet way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm about it. Very cool. (laughs) Let's take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Literally. Awesome. Uh, so to finish off, sorry, um, this has been a lovely conversation, by the way. I'm very excited about this episode. Hey, I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. We just have a few questions that we like to ask every guest just to sort of sure. uh, leave our audience pondering maybe their answer. Um, so the first one is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Yeah, that's a good question. Does it have to be like marketing related? No, this is just life on earth. Oh, anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're going to go with this. Um, I learned to make sushi, guys. Like straight Ooh. up, like made the rice, learned how to fold, learned how to do that cut, get that fish. I got fresh fish from a fish market and I like get anxiety from like, okay, maybe anxiety is a strong word, but like if just like too many people and like a market and people screaming and yelling. So I like, Got my fish. I knew how much weight I wanted my fish to be. Got home, cut that shit up, made it. It was great. What you kind of make fish? Sushi at home. That's I, amazing. Um, I love it. it. It's like salmon. It's oh, nothing no. like <laughs> But you know, baby steps. But it was something that I thought I could never do. And I was like, why? Why don't I just try it? And I could do it. So it was a little pick me up. That's awesome. And the I rice is that. made in a very specific way, right? To make it have that kind of yeah. stickiness. Yeah. And, uh, the way, how was that experience? Yeah. I feel like rice is one of those things. It's like baking. It takes like a very watchful eye. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to put some vinegar in there, some sugar, some salt. You have to make sure like the sugar doesn't like caramelize or whatever. So yeah, it was a lot of like, you know, going, but I, I got it and I was excited about it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. What a skill too. What if you whip that out? Like, hey, by the way, I'll make you sushi <laughs> tonight. Like, 
That's I know, right? Makes you sound much cooler. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll make it go far. Uh, yes. Second question. If you had one, this might be a, a little bunny for you, but you don't have to go the way that's maybe obvious to our conversation that we've had so far. But if you had one <laughs> thing to bring to a show and tell, uh, what do you think you would bring? Yeah, I'm like trying to get something quirky. <laughs> what would I bring? Oh, man. Okay, so this is kind of weird, but I have these polka dot pants that I love. And the reason why I love them is when I was like applying to jobs, I would wear these polka dot pants to places. And based on how people would receive me, I would see if I liked that company or not. Because they were like polka dot jeans. And they were like kind of like prominent. Ooh. But I was like, I want to work at a place. So let's see where polka dot jeans to work. And won't say anything. Some people didn't vibe with them when I wore them to my interview. And some people vibe with them. So I think it's a fun thing to be like, wear your polka dot pants. Like find your polka dot pants and go with it. So that's yeah. what I was doing. I love that. Yeah. Yes. That, two big thumbs <laughs> yes. up. That's like an amazing litmus test to be like, how are they, um, <laughs> can I wear these? Yeah. How stuffy <laughs> exactly. is this company? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's an indicator, right? For so many things. Like, and now I have creative yes. freedom where I'm at because they let me wear my polka dot pants. Big time. I used to say, uh, I'm never as confident as the day I get a new pair of pants that I like. Like, like that Ooh, first yes. wear of new pair of pants. It's yes. like I walk around the world and there's just a beat going. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <there we> go. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So true. But new pants day. That's a, that's a big time day for yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> all right. So our final question is, if you had to give one piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what advice do you think you would give? So I'm thinking like college perspective me. Um, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is work for a place that you love. And I feel like that's really, I feel very cliche, but I think when you're a senior in college, you kind of start grasping at straws and will go for like whatever place will just give you an offer and just maybe even more so than play work at the place you love, like you will eventually get a job. Like whether it takes two weeks, two months, two years, you will get a job and you will be fine. So I think just working at a place that you want to work at is, it should be a priority and young talent doesn't prioritize that, unfortunately. Like, I don't even know how much I prioritize that. I think I loved Duolingo, but it was also kind of serendipitous that like they were offering me a job in the pandemic. I'm like, I'm going to go for it. Obviously every place you should be asking questions of. And maybe I didn't ask as many questions as I should have in the beginning. Um, so yeah, I think that's what it is. You're going to get a job to so just work from somewhere that you love because it's not worth wasting your time and anything. I love that. Yeah, that's great. You are a very inspiring young person. I'm very happy to spend this <laughs> hour you. with you. Uh, Agreed. So sweet. Thank you. Thank you. We're nearing the end of our time, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity if there's something that you want to, you know, shout out or, or. I think I'm good. I think this is a fun conversation. I really appreciate like this is going deeper into like who I am too. Cause I feel like a lot of podcasts tend to like, just be like, what's your work? Okay, great. And I'm like, wait, yeah. I am a human. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been fun. I don't really have much more to plug, but I appreciate you guys taking the time out. Awesome. Yeah, we do yeah. too. That's kind of our mission is to sort of go beyond and, and it feels like people that are in the world of marketing and, and creative are often very rich with perspective and life experience and, you know, wonderful little nuggets of wisdom to share. So I feel like you've been 
such a delight in that regard. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah. thank you. Thank we you. wish you all the best. I'm I'm a big fan of Duo, and I can't wait to see where his journey goes. <laughs> yes, excited to see it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great one. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.